It was while enjoying a successful career in the US, navigating a series of guest roles in high-profile television shows like Homeland, Law and Order, Blue Bloods and The Newsroom, that Fiona Choi was offered a life-changing casting at home. That of Jenny Law, the passionate matriarch of the Law family in the SBS series The Family Law. Equal part pathos and comedy, the character has become iconic and enabled Choi a unique position in the Australian television landscape, a middle-aged woman of Chinese heritage balancing the roles of mother and wife. It's a universal narrative, but the show is a first in its portrayal of the loving but dysfunctional Chinese-Australian family. As can be the want of show business, it seems to have taken a couple of decades for Choi to become an overnight sensation. She became hooked as a performer during her secondary education, going on to become an avid member of her university theatre organisation. As a graduate of the West Australian Academy of Performing Arts, her early career began in the commercial musicals Rent and Mamma Mia. An impressive theatre resume added recent forays at the Melbourne Theatre Company in The Lady in the Van and the August production of Golden Shield. Her present focus is the construction of a one-woman show celebrating Hollywood's first Chinese movie star and international style icon, Anna Mae Wong. The show, Dragon Lady, features Choi in an intimate performance that travels through Anna Mae's past and tackles her demons with scandalous reminiscences and sparkling musical numbers. Dragon Lady provokes questions about the struggles of cultural identity and the heavy price of ambition. Dragon Lady will premiere at the Adelaide Cabaret Festival in June, confirming Choi as a talent of great versatility and power. What a treat it was to sit down with Fiona to discuss Dragon Lady, the family law, the visibility of our Asian storytellers and motherhood. Do you tend to or do you tend to just put No, I tend to sort of... However it goes. Like, this, well, it's a chat. This, it's a podcast, not an interview, isn't it? So it's okay if it's a little bit ummy and ari and... Uh, oh, absolutely. It's supposed to be really that. casual and um, <laughs> the listener is sitting at the table with us. Oh, right. No, Dalip, just really briefly, Dalip here, I think he taught, was it theatre making or something very recently there at WAPA? He's a good mate of Chris Edmund. Yeah, he played my husband in Lady, The Lady in the Van. Oh, right. Okay. We were the snooty... Yeah. Right. The snooty neighbours. Did that go well? Um, the play. The play. The, the your experience with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, yeah. it was it was amazing. How was Miss Margulies? He was she, she was incredible. She was a real masterclass. You know, yeah. you you know, you give that lip service. You say someone was a real masterclass, but she really was. Just in terms of her her demeanor her approach to everything but also how humble and inclusive she was you know she never she never wanted to take a solo bow she really felt like it was the ensemble and she really felt even essentially it's it's kind of a one-woman play oh well with the two others as well but um but she yeah really loved the world that we we created and she loved to play with other actors Do as you well. get starstruck? Were you a bit starstruck meeting her? I I was okay, or maybe I just hid it very well, but my kids got starstruck meeting her. Because of Harry Potter. Yes, yeah. that's right. And then, and also because she's a very formidable woman, you know, she doesn't mince words. She's very generous of spirit, but she, she won't hesitate to just, you know, cut you down. Uh, even if you are a child. So when my children met her in rehearsals, they were a bit starey at her. And then um, and then she kind of walked, she spoke to them and then walked past and my son uh, said, isn't that, isn't she 
Professor Sprout from Harry Potter, and she turned around and she said, who are you calling she? (laughs) (laughs) I have a name. I've just introduced myself to you. (laughs) She was stickler for manners and... um, Absolutely, absolutely. And and that's her her particular thing about children, you know, that they need to be articulate, that they need to speak up. That they need to, uh, that, you know, she can only relate to them if they act as young adults, not as children. <laughs> Takes a village to raise a child. She thinks, she, yes, she believes they should be educated. She can't believe people, children these days don't know who Dickens is. Well, I find that as well. Do you? Well, you I, well, In Australia, though? Yeah, like... I, I talk to kids at school, you reference a particular author or whatever, and they've got no idea. Anything no. that's not written past, you know, um, the, the saggy bum thief. What's that? What's that? The saggy the bu- bum no, thief. No, no, David the, Walliams. The bum no. thief. Yes, all, all oh, those right. sorts of. All of, of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I but, suppose. Yeah. But uh, as a kid, did you read? You know, um, the the Austen sisters and. I um well not classic literature not at ten, which no, is how old no, my children yes, are. Yes, exactly. All right. So yes. you know, <laughs> I don't expect them to know Dickens, but. But um, Edith, Enid. Blyton. Enid Blyton, I read, yes. Actually, my son really wanted to, at a young age, at a far too young age, try to start The Lord of the Rings. Oh, brilliant. Yes, he really wanted. What do you do? You hear of kids at 10 reading great. If they've got an interest in a particular... Yeah, that's true. I mean, he read all the Harry Potters. They, you know, they're voracious readers, my children. So, um, and... But... Now they're at an age where I can't suggest. If I even if I think there's something there that they would absolutely love, um, I have to find another way to, you know, bring it to their attention. Because if it comes from me, then automatically, you know, it's ruled out. They don't want to read it. They don't want a bar of it. <laughs> How long were you in New York? I was in New York for sixteen years. So the, your children were born over there. Well. No. Because I'm an I'm a lowly uh, I'm a lowly self-employed actor, and uh, my husband is also a self-made television producer, and we had no uh, health insurance. I came home to give birth both times. Oh, terrific! Yeah. But I also wanted Sensible. them to have dual citizenship yep. and to have access to Medicare straight away, and I wanted to be close to my parents. So we trekked home each time to give birth, and then went back over there when they were about six weeks old each time so they they were born here but they they still have absolute you know strong american accents they sound like lever to beaver really so there was always a plan i guess to move back to australia eventually always yeah yes and how has that gone with the kids are they adapted quite well they have they have thank goodness they've really um they've they've really embraced it at first you know it was a great adventure and then they sort of, you know, they, they sailed through after the excitement waned and they really started missing certain things about New York, you know, every time. Halloween, Christmas being winter, you know, particular types of food, they, you know, but they've really embraced the smaller community, the more open-mindedness of, um, of childhood here. Uh, it's quite different you know, people, I think Australians as a, as a rule parent their children a little bit differently and that's really what I wanted to capture. I wanted them to have that freedom of the Aussie upbringing and the freedom to express themselves and articulate and be talked to, uh, you know, to have conversations 
by Madame Sprout. With adults. By Madame Sprout, I yes. know, I know, even if they were a bit starstruck. <laughs> so, um, yes. uh, who was Anna Mae Wong? Oh, Anna Mae Wong. I'm going to throw you into the, the deep I know, end you, here you because really this, are. Is, this is some work that you've got coming up. Yeah, it is. For the Adelaide it's, Cabaret Festival. Yes, which we're, we're very, very busy building right now. So we're right in the thick of it. But um, I, uh, Anna Mae Wong, for those people that don't know, was the Hollywood's first and perhaps still only uh, Chinese-American movie star. And she was born in L.A., in, at the turn of the century um, and in and grew up around LA's Chinatown and nobody was looking nobody was in, in the early days of the silent movie era was looking for um, an exotic uh, Asian actress but she just she was so charismatic and so curious and so and so talented that she created this space for herself and she she came up in the ranks and she you know she became she became quite uh, well known um, in the silent movie era, but the problem is she could never great. She could never become a leading lady uh, because at the at the time, amongst all the other prejudices or you know ways that people sort of loved to label people, uh, there was an actual law. There was anti miscegenation law that meant that people of two different races couldn't kiss on screen. So even when they built roles or wrote roles for her to play, um, uh, but if if the leading man, as usually was the case, was a white man in yellow face, um, they weren't allowed to kiss. So she always had to play the supporting role. She had to either play the tragic young ingenue that had to die to make way for the white leading lady to get the man, or she had to play, you know, the mean evil dragon lady or the spurned lover. You know, she always had to play those other roles. So, you know, there was like a real ceiling to, to what she could achieve in Hollywood at the time. So then she went, she went off to Europe um, and actually became a star. She, she became, she got leading roles. She, in Germany, she um, had a great friendship with Marlena Dietrich and... Uh, and was it, what sort of friendship was that? A friendship, a friendship? in inverted commas, mm. yes. So, so the rumour so right. has it. Yeah, we talk about that in my show a little bit. Great. And then, um, yeah, so then she became a cabaret star and a star in Europe. But then she, you know, so, but she was, she, she felt American, but America never could see past the fact she was Asian. So then she went to China thinking, oh, the Chinese will accept me. I could become a leading lady in China, but because she was inherently American, except for her face, um, the Chinese found her too brazen, too Western. They, they thought she was a little bit like a, a courtesan or actresses were the equivalent of mm. prostitutes back then. Mm. So they, so a Chinese didn't accept her either. So she kind of had, was always from the outside looking in and she had this very tragic career where she could, she, there was no room for her to grow. And then she became an alcoholic and then tragically died very at, young. At what age? Um, I think she was 56. Right. Yeah. She was Quite really, young. she was very young. She was just about to actually film a role in the movie version of Flower Drum Song. Right. Yes, when um, when she died of complications due to alcoholism. How many films did she make? Many, yeah, many films. I was say, yeah. yeah, so many films. Because she came up through the silent era and um, 
And she was a beautiful actress. You know, she could cry on cue. You know, she would rain buckets of tears. That was one of the big things that people were in awe of her about. No need for glycerin. She could cry. And, uh, and then she, she also then, she did a lot of talkies as well. And she, she starred, she did a Broadway plays. She starred with a young Laurence Olivier in London on the West End. She, um, and she also, uh, in the, you know, in the early fifties, she was the first Asian American woman to star in a television series. They made, they created a TV series for her, um, in which she played, I think it was called the gallery of Madame Lutzong. And she played this woman that ran a laundry, but was also kind of like a detective. (laughs) Lasted for one season and wasn't renewed, but uh, tragically there are no copies of that whole series left because at the time, you know, everything was on reels and uh, before they got a chance to digitise it, when they ran out of uh, storage space, they deemed that this whole series wasn't important enough to keep, so they just burned the whole series along with a whole lot of other early television, I imagine. Yeah, so... um, Yes, we can do terrible things to our past sometimes, can't we? Sort of not look to... No. Preserve and how important they might be down the track. Well, that's right. That's right. I think she was always relegated to the sidelines. And I think it's only now that we look back that we realise, you know, what a pioneer she was, that she created this space and this, um, this just opened up this world of what a leading lady could be. I mean, I discovered her as, um, as a child because I was so in love with, um, you know, old movies, the old MGM musicals and Bill Collins' Golden Years of Hollywood. Yeah. And I was a collector of all these coffee table books, you know, the goddesses of the Golden Years of Hollywood, that sort of thing. And I always found, as I was leafing through the pages, you know, there'd be, you know, there'd be Greta Garbo, there'd be, you know, um, all, all of the people, Catherine Hepburn, um, Betty Davis. And then in amongst all of these blondes and brunettes, there was always one picture of this Asian woman. And that was the first time I kind of was inspired and I thought, who is she? There there was somebody there. Somebody's paved the way. Like, perhaps this could be a dream that I could pursue, being uh, in musicals, or at the time musicals, being being in the movies. Somebody's done it before me. Mm. So It's possible. It's possible. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it did to me. It gave me me, um, inspiration that something was possible. She was very much a style icon as well. So did she appear yes. in Vogue and all of those That's fashion right. magazines? And, That's right. Well, she model? was. She was. She loved fashion, and I think I think there was one year that Vogue, uh, you know, Vogue voted her the the world's most uh, fashionable woman. So you know, she, she photographers and uh, the fashion world, yeah, definitely were inspired by her. So I think that's how a lot of people would know her these days for some of her beautiful portraits and in her elegant gowns and, and you know. And there's also, and also mainly through her friendship with both Marlena Dietrich and um, Lenny Riefenstahl. Yep. Yes. Yes, the, the, the German uh, Hitler's, uh, yes, propagandist filmmaker. Yeah. But, but way before then, it was kind of like there was an era where it was the three of them out on the town in pre-war uh, Berlin, you know, right. just partying it up. <laughs> Way to Society. go. Society. Yes. The last time we caught up, I think it was about three or four years ago yeah. in, in New York. Yeah. And at the time, there was a big push um, uh, from Asian actors uh, that, you know, there were articles in the New York Times, etc., to increase the visibility of Asian 
actors uh, and stop Hollywood whitewashing. I think Biggie Wong and, and Constance, oh, yes, Wu Constance Wu were coming to yep. the fore. Yes, um, yes. And, you know, taking Asian roles and stories and filling them with white actors. Have we got better in the last four years, do you oh, think, of doing that? Look, it's... <laughs> I mean, you think of Crazy Rich Asians, which I thought was a fabulous film. You yes. Know, and a very universal story. Yes. And told quite beautifully by an all-Asian cast. Authentically, mm. yes. Well, and I think I think the secret to that is to have Asians at the... Cre- uh, you know, Asians as creatives. It, this, it was based on a book by an Asian... You know, the, so, we, so he adapted it into the screenplay and then the director... John Chu was an Asian as well. So I think that's the secret to taking it back and and having the opportunity to have Asians as uh, producers, as writers in the writer room, as the directors as well, just to, to lend that air of authenticity. Otherwise, you're continuing that whole stereotype of years ago of the yellow, yellow face, which is, I find it a fascinating concept. Do you know what yellow, yellow face is? No, please tell me. All right. Well, so yellow face, as you know, is when you get a white actor and you turn him into a yellow person, like Mickey Rooney in, in Breakfast, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Holly go lightly. Holly go terrible. Yeah, yeah, I know. You watch that now and you cringe. How you really is this do. ever possible? And it's always it's it's always been the case since the dawn of the movies. You yeah. know, uh, when they had all that you know, the Charlie Chan series or even in the anime Wong's time, you know, it was yes. always men men and women, you know, dressed up. There's there's Catherine Hepburn and Myrna Loy and all of those people. Peter Ustinov, I think, did yeah, it. Jennifer and, Jones, you know, all these people. So that's yellow face and it's terribly cringy now. Robert Halkman in 55 Days at Peking. Yes, mm. well, mm. I guess even, um, who was the engineer in, in oh, Saigon? Oh, yeah, Saigon. And, yes. and the storm of protest that yes. that's conjured up as well. Absolutely. Jonathan, Jonathan Price. Jonathan mm. Price. And it still took years for uh, for Asians to be uh, cast in that role. But anyway, so that's yellow face and that's clearly an outrage, uh, especially now. But then there's a sneaky yellow, yellow face where they will hire uh, Asian actors to play the Asian roles. But because the roles are still conceived and written and directed from the point of view of the white white person, it's still very stereotyped. So it's still a white person's perception of how this Asian character should be played. And that's when you get the whole, you know, you have to talk like this, you have to have the accent. There is a fantastic, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that fantastic clip on Facebook or YouTube about a couple of Asian actors who are actually addressing that issue in a wonderful sketch. I must find it. Oh, is that that one? Is that that one where they bump into each other jogging and... There might be a series of them, but they're auditioning for a commercial and, oh, right. and the white director is giving them direction to be a bit more Asian. Oh, yes, yes, And they're yes. refusing to do it and then they, the That's been signs. a huge part of my life, right. yeah, yeah. That's right. Or, or they'll, but do you, do you get that in auditions, etc.? Can, can you be more Asian or...? Um, I have. Totally yeah. I have. I, I've gotten, can you do the accent, even when, you know, I, I'm a little bit cheeky sometimes, like I've, I've gone in there and, you know, even though I know, I, well, no, I know that they want the stereotype, they need, they want the accent, but because, like, if I've analysed the script and I've seen, there's no, actually no need for this person to be Asian in any way. She's a doctor in New York City, or she's, you know, she's just a fellow parent at the playground, why does she need to have an accent or why does she need to be anything other than herself? 
Yes, and you I, could be third generation. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I go in there and then I act very, you know, I act very naive and I'm like, oh, really? You, you want the accent? Like, I'll do it first as myself and see where that takes me. Quite often, it, 50% of the time it's been successful and I've been able to just portray a character as myself. And then the other 50% of the time, they definitely need you to be Asian because that's why they've brought you in because you've got that face. But, um, but to answer your original question, I, I like to think that things have changed. I, like, it's, I always feel like it's two steps forward, two steps back. You know, many years ago, I did, um, I did a role on Neighbours where I played, this, <laughs> where I played the, uh, a stripper girlfriend of Toadie's or someone that Toadie had a crush on. And I did it for like eight weeks. Um, you know, the lovely Jan Russ actually cast me in that. But the thing I appreciated about it the most is that I auditioned for this role and her name was Laura Wallace. And after they cast me, um, there was no, they, they left her name as Laura Wallace. And I think back then, I think this was in the year 2000, that was huge mm. because it still, it, it still happens to me where they'll cast me as the role of Dr. Somebody. The role was written as Dr. Smith or whatever. And then after they've cast me, they'll... They'll say, could you... Dr. Lou. I think we want to change the name to Dr... Yeah. I'm not going to say because I've just realised that it happened very recently. Right. Um, you must have been one of the first Asian faces in Ramsey Street, were you? I think I was, yeah. yes. Well, actually, that wasn't even the first time I was in Ramsey Street. The first time I was on Ramsey Street was many, many years prior. I think I was 20 or 18, and uh, the green guy had just done this scathing... Uh, you know, one of many just scathing uh, analyses that sort of said, why isn't there diversity on uh, Australian TV, especially in the soaps? So I think the next week there was um, there was a beauty contest on Ramsey Street at oh. Lasseter's. Yeah. And so what they did was, <laughs> even though, you know, the blonde girl won, they peppered, they, you know, they filled all of the beauty contestants with uh, a rainbow of people just to prove that they were diverse. Dear, dear, so, dear. Um, you talk about Anna Mae Wong doing television, that television series. I mean, it, that article I read you know, yes. that, that four years ago, when Constance Wu landed the role in Fresh Off the Boat, it had been 20 years since a show featuring a predominantly Asian-American cast had aired on television. So wow. I wonder if that was the Anna Mae Wong series. I wonder if it was. Mm. Yeah, I think I, it certainly has not been a regular occurrence. And I, I would venture to say... I think the family law in Australia was the first time there's a, a television series with a predominantly Asian cast. Do you think? Oh, it would have to be. I, I can't remember any in, in my young years. Um, <laughs> that was a joke. Um, uh, no, not, not, not at all. I can't even remember any sort of uh, families that may have appeared in other series or whatever. I can't think of any either. I know right now on Neighbours there's an Indian family... But, and, uh, you know, in those Gold Rush series, uh, you know, of the 70s, 80s, you know, Rush and um, all that sort of thing, there was the token Asian family in the gold mining camp, I think. Was Whereas there? in reality, it was probably populated oh, yeah. by... that's right. That's right. Many Asian families. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it must yeah, be satisfying to see the success of the family law. Yes. And, you know, you talk about a... An Asian creative team bringing it. You, you've got Tony Ayres. That's there, right. It, yes. And yep. Benjamin Law writing it. Tony Ayres and Debbie Lee. I mean, Matchbox, which is the producing company. I mean, they. You know, that's that. 
it would have been nothing without that we would never have been created without them and their their desire you know to to be champions in that field and then of course SBS with their mandate but also you know so supportive and and really seeing even though and really seeing that it's beyond the story of this is an Asian Australian family I mean you know that's just the background that's just the context but you know t- the, the actual makeup of the story—it's such a—it's a very Australian, and it's well, all about dis- I mean, dysfunctional family. families, couples breaking up. That's right. Children coming out. Children coming yeah. out happens every day. Well, see that—that's what I'm most proud of, especially with season three, yeah. that we actually get to tell a story of a young boy coming out. I mean, that's news enough in itself on Australian television. But to see that it's also—he's also the child of immigrants is really, really beautiful. Mm. And I think, and actually I was really touched um, that we were featured on Gogglebox and I, re- I was really moved by the reaction. The response, The yes. response. Did you see that? Absolutely. I thought it was beautiful. I, yeah. um, I'd never actually watched Gogglebox before yeah. and it was it was really beautiful. All of the, you know, and that that audience, all the characters watching the TV, yes. it's quite diverse. So very diverse. Sort of get the response from a variety of um, yes. And I, I, I had my heart in my throat when I watched it. You know, the, there's the the classic, the the Aussie couple, and all of the different, you know, immigrant, you know, all different uh, ethnic families, but all very Australian in their way, and. Um, and, and when it came time for the young, when they were watching the young boy come out, everybody was just saying, just be yourself, be mm. yourself. Mm. And I, it blows my mind to think uh, that young people these days would, could watch that and what that means to them. Absolutely. You know, the, I wonder the, how, many, how many young children, boys or girls, went and had a conversation with their mother after yeah. watching that. Or, or even, even if they're still a little bit way off, from having that conversation with their mum, just to even think to themselves, I'm not alone. Mm. This is a, you know, and, and what I'm feeling, all my confusion, there's, you know, there's a model for that, yeah. you know. Well, in, and in much the same way as I feel really proud that uh, in season three of The Family Law that uh, my character Jenny um, got a boyfriend who was a, a white, hunky man. You know, the same actor, Jeremy Lindsay Taylor, that uh, I think his previous, I think his previous um, on-screen relationships were with, he was in the football show really recently, but he was also, you know, he was the boyfriend, the love interest of Cat Stewart on Offspring. He did a series where he was the love interest of Lisa McCune. And to think that, you know, that he could be interested in someone that looks like Jenny Law. I mean, if I'd been, as a young girl, if I'd seen something like that, you know that would have that would have saved me years of you know wondering uh, do, will white people find me attractive? Um, can I be attractive? Can I be the hero in a, in a romantic story? Can yeah. someone that looks like me growing up in Australia, yeah. you know? And so I like to think that young young people will see that as well, and their minds will be opened up. Well, it's an extraordinary performance. I mean, I think. Oh, thanks, yeah, Pete. No, I've watched a couple of episodes, and I've, I've got <laughs> straight onto couple? the email. No, 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 no. I've been bowled over by your performance in a couple of episodes. I know you, you're good in in all of them, but you know those episodes where you you tread that fine line between being hysterically funny and then our hearts going out to you because your pathos in in some of those episodes is just extraordinary, um, and that takes quite a 
brilliant actress, I think, to do oh, that. Oh, so, that's really kind of you to say. Uh, I, it, what attracted you to the character of Jenny Law? Because well, I, it's, it's, you've seemed a marriage made in heaven. Well, I mean, look, I, this has never happened before or since that I, the first time I read the script, I laughed out loud and then the very next minute I was crying. I, I knew who she was as soon as I read that, that script. I mean, really, I, I don't think it's any secret that I... Not in terms of what she says, but, uh, but her character, you know, her heart. It's, it's, it's my mum, you know. So I kind of really play her as a love letter to my mum and all of my aunties, people that I really know. I know people that talk exactly like that and behave exactly like that. So I think, I think it's about the brilliant writing and it's very kind of you to say that, uh, that the performance is great, but I... I really just put myself in the writing and it's all in there. It's all in Benjamin Law's very clever way of, you know, like what, do we, what does he like to say? He, um, he, he, he cracks you up and then he punches you in the gut in the very next sentence. And, and I think it's because the way he wrote that character, it's a love letter to his mum. You know, he's still really close to the real Jenny. Did you uh, get to meet her? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah we've spent lots of time together. In right. fact, she... Um, you know, I spend time with her before every season to brush up on my accent and you know to brush you know to brush up on her her charisma, and uh, and so yeah, definitely. And you can see the love and uh, and the way Jenny Law is written on screen is nothing compared to how outrageous the real Jenny Law is. You know, we uh, she met my mum and we went out to, for dinner one night. And uh, within five minutes of meeting my mum, she was asking my mum, you know, how many miscarriages she had and how much she'd bled. (laughs) (laughs) In a very authentic way. It was just part of the conversation. It was just part of her absolutely (laughs) getting to the heart of it. But I think there are more people like that than you would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. They don't have a filter. They don't have that filter. Yeah, that's right. No, but I I think it's it's a brilliantly written character. Mm. And I think think being a mum really helped. Yep. You know, we really, um, we did lots of things, you know, like the set of the show, uh, which is essentially the law house. Like we, we made, we put real photos of myself with my real babies. Oh, great. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, we personalized it. And so, and being a mum of boys, of young boys, you know, so my relationship with Benjamin, the character of Benjamin was always really, really authentic. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just yes. a joy. It was he's eff- lovely too. What's, what's his name? Tristan. Yeah, that actor. Yeah. Oh, he's beautiful. Yeah. Do you know he'd never done anything on television before when right. we filmed season one? I think the main thing, the the biggest thing that he had done up until then was he had been one of the children in uh, a production of The King and I with Lisa McCune. Oh wow! That one. Had he done school plays or...? I think he'd done school plays. Yeah, Yeah, he'd done some little acting courses, but he'd never actually been on screen. So the biggest learning curve of season one was, you know, the biggest learning curve we all all go through when uh, when we only know stage and we go on screen, that you don't have to talk like this. You can just talk like a normal person and you can whisper all. Well, hopefully, you know, many of that ensemble will now go on to do work in other series and yes. be cast for their talent rather than 
I, I look hope, or I whatever. hope so. As indeed we have started to do, we've still got a long way to go with Indigenous actors. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Well, George, who plays my older son on The Family Law, is in rehearsals right now for Cozzy at the Melbourne Theatre Company. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and you know, Shuang, who plays the, my oldest daughter, she's gone on to, or she went and did um, a regular role on Ronnie Chang. Yep. International student. And, uh, Very funny series. Yes, yes. Yeah, and great. Takaya Takaya and Kimmy, who play the Neighbours. Um, Takaya is now on Neighbours as the gay as a gay character. Right. He was... Um, what is that gay character's name? I think he's... I don't want to say because I might be wrong. But he has the honour. That character has the honour of being uh, Australia's first televised uh, gay, gay wedding. Yes. Average, yeah, gay wedding. Excellent. Yes. Now, did you ever think that you'd be nominated for a Logie? Huh? Did you? <laughs> well, look, Pete, <laughs> guess what? I'm not actually nominated for a oh, Logie. aren't you? What? But do you have to... I'm nominated to be nominated to have a Logie, to get a Logie. That's ridiculous. Because it's, it's basically a short list. Right. It's basically a short list of people uh, and then people have to... To vote, and then from that short list comes the actual list of nominees. But even then, but what about the? Because there is a legitimate category in, in oh, the, in the night a, of, yes. of best actress. That's now, right. Not a popular vote, but no, best. no. That's and right. I suppose those nominations don't come out till a bit closer to the awards. That's or right. That's right. right. Well, fingers yes. crossed that oh, you were thanks. certainly thank you, Pete. In that, and, I did and, get nominated for an actor award, which was amazing. Yes, which you was, look glamorous on the red carpet. Oh, thanks. Best right. performance. Uh, in a television comedy, which I think it's kind of this weird thing where they'll, where I think this came about from when there weren't enough television comedies, so they didn't separate actors and actresses. So it's just it's it's one category of just best performance. So it includes males and females. But what I'm I'm hoping that because I think Australia is really known for their comedies these days, mm-hmm. especially on the international stage in yeah. terms of what. You know, people like to watch overseas of of Australian television content. I think we're really good at comedy. Yeah, please like me is a big. Please hit like me is huge. I think Rosehaven is really huge overseas. Love Rosehaven. Yeah. 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 Um, the Letdown is really big on Netflix. Yeah. Upper Middle Bogan. I Upper Middle terrific. Bogan. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's great. Yeah. Um, well, how does the precious listener uh, get to vote for you to be nominated to be nominated? Oh right. Well, is they it? go. It, it might. I think it. I think they've already closed. All right. Oh well. Don't but, worry about it, listener. But if but but if I do get nominated, listener, um, please do go online and vote because I think, I think it would be wonderful to have some colour on the red carpet, don't you? The I, Logies red carpet. I think it'd be wonderful. <laughs> um, now, you, of course, you've done oodles of work, but do you find it funny that it's taken about twenty years to become an overnight sensation? <laughs> it's always funny, isn't it? Uh, yes, uh, yeah. you're always an overnight sensation. Because you've been yes. out there, you've been doing lots of gigs, and we'll talk about many of them a little bit later, but. But Jenny Law has certainly propelled you into the, the stratosphere of yes. attention. Yes, yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny because I think, you know, uh, the fact that I'm that I'm going back to my musical theatre roots, as it were, to do this Adelaide Cabaret Festival show, which, listener, is coming up in June, Adelaide Cabaret Festival, Dragon Lady, The Many Lives and Deaths of Anna Mae Wong is my show. But I think people, a lot of people wouldn't realise that I started out in musical theatre and that I sing. So um, that, you know, so it's kind of almost come full circle. 
better. What was your question, Pete? <laughs> Do you find it funny that um, it's okay. taken 20 years to become yes. an overnight sensation? Like, I mean, do, do you think that you have to grow into yourself as a performer? You know, uh, have yes. you reached that stage now where, you know, the, the roles that you're meant to play and your experience you bring to the fore and now everything is a, is a perfect I think, marriage? I think absolutely. Look, I think it, it took a long time for me to find the roles that suited me. I don't know if it... When I was... You know, when you're young... When you're young, it's very much about, you know, how cute and sexy you are, you know, especially if you're a young Asian girl, you know, and there were always people that were cuter and sexier than me to play those roles, those young Asian girl roles. Um, I was never, that was never really my energy. I always had a little bit more of of a mature energy, I think. So I think what happened is, especially when I went to New York, um, I found finally I grew into those roles where it's about substance and personality and uh, that, you know, so then, yeah, that's when I started to get the roles. How are we going with that ambition to uh, do a stint in Wentworth? Oh, right. (laughs) Well, they they haven't been calling. They haven't called yet. So, did you? Where did you read that, or did I tell you that? No, no, I do my research. It's sort of open, Thank you very is much. it an open secret? I'd love I to see to you campaign. behind. <laughs> love to see you behind bars. Uh, uh, but no, that'd be great. Did you grow up with Prisoner? I did. Yeah, I yeah. loved it was Prisoner. Weekly watching, wasn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And then when Wentworth came along, I was very chuffed to see that you know, in amongst the the prison gangs of the new Wentworth, there was an Asian gang. Great. But uh, but who's to say I would have to be part of the Asian gang? I could certainly. That's right. Yes. You'd be doing yellow yellow face then. I would be doing yes. yellow yellow face then. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Now you're the daughter of um, Chinese immigrant parents. Yes. When, when did they come to Australia? They actually, my dad, um, my dad came out to get his engineering degree in um, Bendigo. Right. So, is that where you, you're from? No, uh, Miraburra, which is oh, near Bendigo. Right. But Bendigo, of course, has a huge Chinese population. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So he was he was here in as a ch- sorry as a ch- as children. We used to go over to the Easter Fair. They have a big procession, and and the dragon would come oh, down right. the, yes. of the street and, and firecrackers. And, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So my dad came out, and you know, was part of that whole uh, you know uh, sort of young lots of. Um, Lots of middle-class uh, people from Hong Kong and Macau, they'll send their, their children out to get a Western degree, you know, for the bigger opportunity it presents itself. So he was here in his early 20s. He, um, he drove a taxi. He worked in Chinese restaurants and he got his engineering degree. And then, um, and then he went home on a, for holiday and met my mum. And within six months, they came out and got married here. So it was just more about better opportunity at the time, being able to raise a family in a place that would allow for more opportunity for everyone involved. What were their expectations of you? Uh, did they approve of a, a daughter who wanted a career in the arts? Oh, never. Not no. at all. Do you know, it's it's only when it was a hobby and they really made an effort for it to stay my hobby. I went to Wesley College in Melbourne. Is it a, a single-sex school? Or? No, no. No, co-ed? It was no. a co-ed private school, but it was the type of fabulous school that, you know, had a $60,000, which was huge back then, budget for their school musical, you know. Um, you claim to have done more musicals than the average high school student. I d- well, yes. <laughs> Do I? Do yes. I? I think I did. I did a lot of musicals. I did. Um, I, met my, I, met, I met my best friend, Helen, Helen Patterson, who actually is writing the Dragon Lady script. Um, we both met 
because she played Charity Hope Valentine and I played her friend Nikki, Nikki Pignatelli in Sweet Charity. Fabulous. But, uh, but we did this little joke where we, we changed Nikki's last name to a Chinese last name. And then we would change it every night. Nikki Tang, Nikki Wu. One night I, turned, I decided <laughs> to call her Nikki Fu Manchu. And I didn't know at the time how... How you know, horrible you were I being. know, exactly, <laughs> how cringy I was actually being. But we were the two ethnic girls at, uh, you know, that were always felt like we didn't quite belong. And, um, and coincidentally, you know, she, she also knew about Anna Mae Wong uh, as a high school wow. student. From, you know, from that from whole... From looking at old movie books. Oh, looking mm. at old movie... Like there was Lena Horne, yeah. there was Dorothy Dandridge, there was Anna Mae Wong. If if you you know, as in the sea of in the sea of white there. So I mean I think as um, as children as girls that looked different, that was fascinating to us. At the time. I, I first laid eyes on you. I don't know if we've talked about this. Oh, no. oh in, gosh, what are you about to say? No, in a Monash University production of Metropolis <gasps> at the Alexander Theatre. Is that right? It, well, yeah, yeah. Oh and, my goodness. Um, so you must have been at Monash. Is that where you were studying commerce? Yes, I was studying commerce at Monash, but then I was, I was, uh, I never actually completed my degree. I kept on deferring because I got so caught up in student theatre. It was called Mumco, the Monash University Musical Theatre Company. I got so caught up doing musicals and then uh, made friends with people that were just as passionate about musicals. And there's quite an alumni of performers who've come out of Mumco that have gone on Mm. and had careers in the profession. Tell me, who are they? Well, um, um, (laughs) Anton Berrison, didn't he? Yes, Anton Berrison. He was also in Metropolis. Um, And Tripod. Yes, yeah. Some of the boys in that? Yes, actually Tripod. uh, Simon Hall, who's one of the Tripod members, he's Yon. But he'll always be Simon to me. Ah. Um, he's written a couple of the songs in Dragon Lady. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Were you so, quizzing me then to see if I knew? Yes, I was. All oh, right, thank you. I hope I, I passed. Was. You did pass. <laughs> I think you did pass. <laughs> we, yeah. How did you hear about Whopper? Um, how did I hear about Whopper? Well, it, do you know, I don't even know. But it was one of those, at the time, it was the only place you could study musical theatre. And that was like the mecca. That was... You it know, had a it was fame. magnificent it was reputation. Fame didn't school. It? Yeah. 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 And I had not, yes. And I never dreamed that I would have gotten in. But um, but it was all I you know, that's all I wanted to do. To be able to have the opportunity to study acting, dance and singing. Uh, eight hours minimum a day. Eight hours minimum. Uh, yes, who knew well I, I didn't know at the time that we'd be spending so much time doing things like history, yeah. the history of musical theatre. You know, musical music skills. I hated it's, music skills anyway. Music that's probably obvious. Uh, um, is it? It's, it's quite a different now, isn't it? It's a lot more academic and less performance based. Is that not right? Sure, not sure. Don't know. Mm. Don't know. But uh, but we had a good time there. You had, oh, well, I did. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. I had what a really what did you learn time. at Whopper in the in the musical theatre course? I so much, so much, um, and I do. You know, there's a lot to be said for. There's a lot of inherent. To make it, you know, in theatre and musical theatre in particular, you know, of course you need the inherent talent. Like you either can sing or you can't, I suppose. You either have a voice people want to listen to or not. Um, You either have an affinity for the stage or you don't. But if you do have a little germ of talent or charisma, you know, you absolutely need the skills to be able to make it consistent, to be able to... uh, 
to be able to have a process. And I think that's what I gained um, at WAPA. Um, actually, and I do, I do really think that it was my when I my, the first show I did at, after I graduated was Rent. And I remember doing the auditions for Rent, and they were looking for raw. They were just looking for raw, fabu- you know, p- people of a particular type. But I think, but I really do feel that it was my process and my acting ability that um, that caught their attention because I was cast as a swing, which was essentially understudying a whole lot of roles. And and so even in the dance audition, I put you know I put my actor hat on you know, to do the dance audition. And I think that that really helped. That really, um, it made them see that there was like a full life in the performance as opposed to just doing the steps. And I think that's one of the big things that you learn, that you create that, the, the confidence to do that at WAPA. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, look, it's hard enough playing one character and all the, <laughs> the work surrounding that that you, you yeah. have to do to construct that. When you're a swing and you're playing three, four, five characters, that must do your head in. How do you cope with that? Well, I, I'm really lucky because I have that kind of brain. Like, you know, I've always had a really easy time learning lines. I've had a really easy time remembering blocking. I think now that I'm older, I probably don't have that skill as much anymore. But um, but it's all about it's just drilling, really. It's 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 that rep- uh, repetition, which it's sort rep- of yeah, repetition, emotion, uh, muscle memory, all that. Yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely. Oh well, look, there were times. Do you know? It's funny when I was doing Rent. It just so happened I had, I think, three of the four main roles that I covered. I had to actually go on for the night before I was due to start rehearsing them. So I had not even rehearsed them. But you'd you'd watched the show. I'd watched, yes, because what actually happens, I'm sure people know or they may not know, but, you know, when you're an understudy or a swing, during the rehearsal period, it's you don't actually often get to go up on the floor. You just have to sit and observe. And it's only once the show opens that they'll slowly... Uh, start to rehearse in all the different understudies and covers for each of the particular roles. So um, it was just by, yeah, it was a terrible coincidence. The night before I was due to rehearse three of the, the roles, I had to go on for them. So I sometimes you just have to get dragged across the stage. Sometimes people on stage will help you and they'll sort of give you a little bit of a go that way. They'll, they'll, they'll do their head nod. And, uh, I'm sure well, it's petrifying, but it must be a bit exciting as well. Petrifying and, and exhilarating. Yes, that accomplishment when you actually finish it. Yes. And then if you see yourself as an actor, then that's, that'll see you through, yeah. you know, because you're in character. You're yeah. in character and, you know, and then you give yourself permission. Another thing, another big pearl of wisdom that I really sort of absorbed at WAPA, you know, as, as an actor, you just give, your permission, you give yourself permission to live that life on stage and give yourself permission to just create it as you go along. The confidence, to and do the that. audience doesn't know. And as what's long as, expected. and as long as yeah. you don't turn to the audience and, and say, oh, give I them a, that up. yeah, <laughs> or have that deer in headlights look. If you build it, they will come. You know, I think that's that goes for auditioning. That goes for you know lots of things. Um, I'm probably gonna, yeah, I rely on it a lot in my performance, and also that's what makes it exciting. An audience might react a certain way. You know, and you will, and you'll just feed off that. 
Miriam Margulies is amazing with an audience. She can read. She can read exactly how long to pause for, you know, to earn the biggest laugh, exactly how the audience is going to trail down and when they're going to pick up with her again. You know, she's really, uh, you know, she's a partner. They're partners. So did you observe her reshape her performance slightly? No, not change it, but just reshape it and adapt to the particular oh, yes. audience? That, yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Mainly, mainly in her amazing ability to... Uh, to judge the length of the pauses, as John Milson used to say, yeah. to, to earn the to earn the pause, like take it to the brink and you know bring them back, you know, yeah, it was amazing. So yeah. it was the perfect. Sorry, I was just going to say, but it, it really was the perfect. Um, I haven't been on I hadn't been on stage before I did Lady in the Van for many years. I've been doing television for so long recently, um, but I have a lot of theatre coming up this year, and so it was the perfect way to get my feet uh, to get my feet wet yeah. again because yeah. I you know I had of course a beautiful character to create but you know I didn't have the pressure of uh, being the main role so I could just sort of get used to being on stage again yeah and it's, it's you, you mentioned um, John Milson very briefly there yes who was the sort of quite intimidating uh, head of course when we when we studied music theatre but yeah. it's, it's extraordinary the amount of wisdom that still I, I certainly I retain and I yes. said you mentioned it there that um, that he taught us about you know earning the earn pause the pause I know we joke about it there are so yeah, many Milsonisms yeah, yeah it's in the text and exactly if you, if it's what the playwright intended is all there for you to find as the actor it's you know? yes absolutely right. it's so true uh, yeah um oh, John Milson yeah um I was very lucky going through with John Milson he liked me well, we had some great teachers. I, I think Milson was, yeah, for, for all his faults <laughs> as a teacher, uh, there were aspects which were extraordinary as well. And, and he really he, made great, that course, didn't and he? And his great passion for for the arts in, mm. in whatever form was was extraordinary, and that's rubbed off on us. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, he certainly sort of constructed that that course along with uh, Dennis Follington. Mm. Uh, Derek Bond. Oh, Derek Bond. Yeah, um, Jenny Lind. Jenny Lind. Yes. So we were lucky to have some um, terrific teachers. Yes. Yeah. Who Who are some of the teachers? But uh, Whopper aside, but other teachers in life, um, adults that you may have known, school teachers, well, acting teachers that you may have had that have been an influence on you. Well, actually, um, I I did I did even before I went to Whopper, I. I did some acting courses with a gentleman by the name of Bruce Alexander. Do you know Bruce? No. I don't know if he's still teaching. Melbourne-based? Yes, yep. he's a Melbourne-based. Um, I think he was, I think, as an actor himself, he was um, one of the, he was on the Sullivans. Right. Um, and then he became his acting teacher. But he, but he was the first person to really give me confidence um, and 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 really uh, inspire me with the notion that acting is not putting on a cat. It doesn't have to be putting on a character, but it can be stripping away and just allowing what's really inside to be expressed. And I think that's the secret to television acting for yeah. sure. Um, you know, to strip away rather than put on. Um, I know you've also studied uh, Sanford Meisner. And I did. Michael yeah. Chekhov. Uh, yes, Michael Chekhov. I love Michael Chekhov. What do they offer you as an actor? Um, 
Well, Chekhov, Michael Chekhov, um, I think, I still use a lot of Michael Chekhov, well, I can't, it's the little bits and pieces that I remember. Who knows if they're really well, genuinely it's a, it's a, Michael it's a, Chekhov. An actor is a bowerbird, aren't they? They take bits and pieces of what they need from various uh, styles and techniques of yeah. theatre and drama, and, and you create your own method, don't you? Mm, mm. I think Michael Chekhov is very much about the physical, like how you stand in your physical space. And, uh, and in New York, I did study a lot of Meisner technique, That's uh, and as well as some practical aesthetics, the David Mamet one, which is all about just listening, like really just reacting to your scene partner. Um, but I, I, I still feel... I do. I have studied a bit, and I and I have my own little ways to, I guess what I call my own technique. But I often just feel like I just, I, I with acting, I still feel like I'm flying by the seat of my pants a lot of the time. Yeah. I, you know, I just try and put myself in the situation and then see what happens. Um, you did a lot in um, a lot of television in New York, Homeland, Criminal Intent, Law and Order, Person of Interest, yes. the Newsroom. The Newsroom was great. Yeah. Is it a tough slog over there with so much more competition? I mean, it is. Although you you've put you know listed some well, incredible credits. Oh, thanks, Pete. Yeah. Well, look, it's it's but with with such a with with such a huge and vast industry, you know, yes, the competition is huge, but there's also more opportunity, and so you know, and New York. It, it's it's got such this exciting that to to be an actor to be an auditioning actor in New York you're always busy you know there's there's auditions happening almost every day and there are, you know there are ways that you can go and work on your craft every day and you just you know and that's the pulse you know that that's the community that you're you're in you know people are always auditioning learning lines so you're always you're always just practicing practicing your craft so I guess it's all about you know the more you're just using those muscles the more they'll just click you know they'll, they'll be there for you so um yeah and, and it's also really about the marketing how you find your type you know so it was a very exciting time were you playing a type or a variety of I, characters you know you I, I think I found I, I think I found my way into a particular type like I played reporters a lot um and then I ended up playing parents a lot so um so I guess I guess it's it's that marriage of finding you know how you come across, how you, how your essence comes across, and being able to capitalize on that. I think that was the the television thing. What what television are you watching at the moment? What te- oh yeah. well, um, I'm watching. Uh, well, I, I was I was going to catch up on Game of Thrones last yes. night. I have to wait yet. a couple of weeks before till I get home to sub- so I'll be able to binge the first. Two oh or three, right, yes, which is yeah, good. I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan. But uh, yeah, I'm walking around with the fingers in my ears. I don't I see or hear anything. I've had to go off Facebook and Twitter because people are talking about it. Yeah. And even when they're saying, oh, I'm not giving anything away, they but. really are. They are. Because <laughs> even if they... You know how people do that thing where they'll go, they'll name a character? <gasps> and then you'll be like, what? What? what, what What's is? happening to that character? Um, and then it's all in your subconscious and you're putting one and one together and you get two right. and two... And you've worked it out. I know. Yeah. It's too... It's terrible. Yeah. No, I, I, I have an eclectic taste in uh, television shows. My favourite show, which, I'm, which I think starts next week, is The Good Fight. Do you know the good fight? Uh, is it? It's either uh, yeah. Um, we'll be listening to this in a few. <laughs> yes, it's so oh, it started. It started. It started. Our listener oh is God. able to do linear and non-linear narratives, so they've, <laughs> they've kept up with us. But uh, yeah, the good fight's back. Um, it's a great week and Killing Eve. <gasps> Killing Eve. I can't Series wait to two. see Killing Eve. Yeah. yeah, Killing Eve is great. We're watching Counterpart at the moment on right. SBS on demand. Do you know? 
counterpart. No, I, don't know. I should watch it though, should I? It's this really fascinating, um, kind of, uh, like a suspense political thriller yeah. sort of thing. Basically, like the premise is the world, it's set in Berlin and the world mysteriously 20 years ago split into two so there's two worlds yeah. so every person has a counterpart right. and it's a bit espionage and right. you know so that's great but see, I find that I'm going to the cinema less because television is so extraordinary yeah television's great and the, and the arc that you, the story arc that you can cover in 12 episodes mm, that's right six episodes yeah is... the writing is fantastic yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, we're watching, and with my children who are ten and twelve, we're we're binge watching shows like Brooklyn Nine Nine, and uh, Scrubs. Actually, we're doing Scrubs at the moment, and a whole bunch of things on Netflix. Because finally, my children are at an age where we, you can you know, share those things. Yes, yeah, yeah. I don't have to sit through something that is very boring. We can actually enjoy the same sorts of things. Are they a fan of Mum? Do they do they watch a lot they of your do. work? Yeah, they they do. Okay, actually. The first time, um, when I was on Homeland, they really, really wanted to watch it yeah. because everyone was talking about it, that I was on Homeland. And so I let them watch my scene and I completely forgot that there were some F-bombs in there. Oh, and right. this is, they were much younger then and they were shocked to hear these words. And so then when it came time for them to really want to watch The Family Law, we had this rule where... Um, they're allowed to watch it and they do understand a lot of the jokes, but if there are certain risque jokes... If I don't feel that they can ask what it means, but if I don't feel they're ready for it, I'll just say, no, you're not ready to understand what that joke is. And they just have to accept it because I'm not going to make things up. I only want them to... Absolutely. You know, but there's a lot of... Well, they've got got a a lot of great television viewing in the years ahead. Yes, that's right. Yes, they'll come to understand and possibly be very embarrassed if they go back to watch The Family Law in the years ahead. So what other theatre is happening for you this year? Well, um, well, we've mentioned that I'm doing this yeah. Adelaide Cabaret Festival Dragon show, Lady. Dragon Lady, which um, hopefully after Adelaide season, you know, um, it will have a life in Absolutely. other venues. That'll be great. There's, yeah, it? there's a venue in Melbourne that might be interested in putting it on, and because I think it's really timely. But then, um, for from July through to September, I'm doing this brilliant um, new play for the Melbourne Theatre Company called Golden Shield and it's being directed by the Associate Director at the MTC, Sarah Goods and it's um, it's actually a play written by uh, a young Thai Australian girl but she also lives in New York her name's uh, Felicia King and it's this it's this electric play. It's kind of a, a play that's written like an Aaron Sorkin screenplay. It's it's like a legal political thriller uh, about China and America. This young lawyer, this young Chinese American. Well, I can't say she's young because really I'm pretty middle aged now, Pete. <laughs> You're but, young. But, You're young to me. But luckily, yeah. But but she had to be middle aged, which is another like the roles are so much better the older you get. Absolutely. I find yeah, yeah. of more substance. Fiona so, Choi has arrived. <laughs> so this so a, a Chinese American lawyer decides to take this multinational to court uh, to sue them. Uh, because they have partnered with the People's Republic, the Communist Party of China, to create like this firewall. And this fire, so it's very timely as well, this firewall was used by the Chinese government as a backdoor to find dissidents, throw them in jail and torture them. So rather than being, being able to take the government to jail 
for humans, human rights abuses. She tries to find this loophole in which she's uh, taking the multinational that partnered up with them to court. So, and it, it has beautiful language about um, translation as well. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's Mandarin in there. There's, there's Eng, um, you know, um, English into Mandarin and vice versa. There's a lot of that inbuilt into the structure uh, as a device in the play. But uh, it's also, there's also a lot, a, a huge theme of the play is also how much translating needs to be done even when you're speaking the same language. When people do, people really mean what they say. Yeah, um, and that's subtext. Subtext, mm. relationship, lots of baggage. Mm. It's it's going to be a thrilling, thrilling play, and I'm really excited about uh, doing it. Mm. Again, because it's one of those amazing roles that I don't know would have existed a few decades ago. Because she she's written to be only a, a, an Asian woman can play her because she is a uh, she's Chinese American. But she's American. She's Western. She's not a Chinese character as such. So um, it's it's a wonderful opportunity. Brilliant. Yeah. I'll have to come down again. Yes, come and see it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations on your impressive achievements. I mean, oh, you, you. you go from um, success to success. You know, I, I think um, success breeds success, doesn't it? And I certainly, think it does. you're you're hot. Oh at well, the moment, that's so. re- it's it's really lovely of you yeah. to say that. You know, it's it's it's. I think it's very timely. I think it's a good time to be. Well, it's a, it, to be honest, it's a great time to be an Asian uh, performer right now, because crazy rich Asians, because you know all of these things coming down the pipeline where people are interested in these stories and yeah. finally understand that to make these stories, to tell these stories well, you need the authenticity from, you know, the creatives. And uh, so I think taking advantage of that, and it's it's really wonderful. It's it's a good revolution to be a part of. Have you subscribed to Stages yet? Do so and keep up to date with every new guest episode as it is released. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts and through Wooshka. You can also find the podcast in Spotify. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast. It helps to grow our audience and reach more Stages listeners. I'm Peter Ayers. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time on Stages.